Reading this morning from John chapter 12, first eight verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Thank you. Be seated. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day and for the time we can come together as your church and to worship you. You truly, Lord, are our focus. Christ is the center of what we do here this morning. And we pray that you would give us the power of your Spirit to to preach and to teach and to To make much of him who is worthy of it. We thank you for all of this and for our time together in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have, uh, as Sinclair Ferguson said this morning in our video downstairs, Sunday is the best day of the week. It is the day when God's people come together and and worship and encourage one another and uh, fellowship together. Think of what it would be like if we didn't have this. Think how much we would miss. It is truly the best day of the week. Well, we begin this morning in chapter 12 of John's Gospel. We are halfway through uh, this this particular uh, place that we've come to this morning is paramount in the life of Jesus, as we will see. It's interesting that I've I've entitled this, The Light of Christ to a Dark World. And truly, in this chapter, we we see that about Christ. Everything that has gone before has accentuated the fact that He is the Son of God, that He came... He came, born of a a virgin, lived a sinless life, performed many miracles, only miracles that God can do. And and even those that did not believe in Him uh, said, 
who but God can raise the dead? And that statement is true. No one can uh, but God himself. In, in spite of all these things, Jesus Christ is the most polarizing individual that ever lived on the earth. His birth divides time into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., uh, Anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord. And so Christ is the central figure of time. But his life is also a divider of people in eternity. Either, they, either people repent of their sins and trust Christ to save them, or they continue on in unbelief and end up in an eternity in hell. It's either one or the other. There is no middle ground. Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And in Luke, 50, in Luke 12, verse 51, He even said that the reason He came was to make those divisions. He said, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. How often do we find that the name of Jesus Christ divides? It divides people. It divides families. It divides co-workers. It divides neighbors. Jesus provokes either a love for him or a hate for him. They either receive him or they reject him. They either worship him or they blaspheme him. With Jesus relationship, with Jesus relationship is either black or white. And there are no gray areas. There is no room in between. The very purpose of John writing this gospel was to present Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And we see that in chapter 20, verse 31. That's, that was his purpose. Now, as we come to chapter 12, the timeline of Jesus' life has now entered his last week on earth. This is six days before the Passover. And so, there are, we find in this chapter, and in subsequent chapters, we find that there are themes that we see. There are themes of love and hatred. There are themes of belief and unbelief. There's themes, there are themes of worship and themes of blasphemy. There are themes of devotion and hostility. The Lord's miracles, and particularly the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, has enraged the Pharisees and their hostile opposition towards Jesus, so much so that Lazarus becomes a target for their murderous intent as well. Now this chapter can be divided into four sections. 
First is the section is Jesus is anointed at Bethany, which we're going to look at this morning. Second, he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, verses 12 through 19. Third, he is sought out by the Greeks, verses 20 to 36. And then, finally, he is repulsed by the Jews, verses, 12, uh, verses 37 through 50. So we'll spend a few weeks here looking at this chapter. History records the words of Julius Caesar very famously as he crossed the river Rubicon into Italy and began a civil war. His words were, the die is cast. It means there's no return. There's no going back. The word Rubicon has come to mean that which is has the results that are irrevocable, that are committed to. This was true of Jesus as he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He had, he had gone there, he had gone, left Jerusalem to escape the hands of the Pharisees. And he went into a, to a town called Ephraim, where he had tried to escape because it was not his time. When he came back to Jerusalem, he must have, he must have come up the road, uh, the Jericho Road, because he stopped, Luke 18 tells us that he stopped at the house of Zacchaeus, the little man who climbed up in the tree to get a good look at Jesus as he came through the town. But the time for his death was drawing near, and so he returns to Bethany. That little town that had been so dear to him where his friends were, where people had welcomed him because there were saints that lived in Bethany. And they were friends with the Lord. As one writer put it, Jerusalem may not want Christ, but Bethany certainly did. I like that last line, Bethany certainly did. And we certainly do. We welcome our Lord. We come here to worship Him. He is our friend and our brother. He is our, our Lord, our sovereign, our King. The time is now six days before the Passover. And this will be His last Passover. And in this Passover, He will be all offered as the Passover lamb. Now in verse 2, there is a drastic contrast between those in Jerusalem who want Jesus dead and those in Bethany who honor Him by giving Him a dinner. Now this dinner was held at the house of a man named Simon the leper. Not much is said about Simon the leper other than this, that Jesus had this dinner at his house. 
John does not seem uh, to name him any other way than... uh, John doesn't give a name for him at all. We find his name in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, which tells that it is John uh, or it is Simon the leper. Matthew 26, verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So this man must have at one time been a leper. And Jesus probably, although we're not told, but we would, we would think that Jesus had healed him from his leprosy. Because he's invited into this man's home. Now, this is not the same Simon that in, in Luke 7, where Jesus entered into his home and had a dinner, and a woman came and anointed his feet there. Totally different story. That man was called Simon uh, the Pharisee. The woman was called a sinner who came and, and anointed him. And so... <clears throat> At this dinner, we find three prominent individuals that are spoken of in these first eight verses of chapter 12. They are Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, along with the disciples of Jesus, which is, uh, he tra- they traveled with him everywhere that he went. So it was a dinner party of approximately 15, 16 people. And these were people who loved the Lord. These were people who honored Him. They followed Him. They believed in Him. He had saved them from their sins. And they were His disciples too. And so, they were sitting around the table. Actually, they weren't sitting around the table. They were reclining around the table. But it was usually only men that reclined that way around the table. And women, the women would serve the food. So let's look first at Martha. Now we've seen a lot about Martha already in other passages in John. Here Martha is in her customary role as one serving. She was... A server, a servant. And that's what she did. That was the way she honored the Lord. She will always be known for this. She is enshrined in the pages of Scripture as one who served. We find her in all, all the places in the Gospels. In two of them we find her serving. Now, we certainly should not think less of Martha because of this character trait, for there is nothing wrong with serving the Lord. There are many people who show their love for Christ by the way they serve Him. However, we must understand that service is, even though it is such a noble and good thing to do in the service of Christ, We must never forget or get so wrapped up in our serving that we forget who we're serving. We're serving Christ, the Son of God. Jesus even says in in verse 26 of this 
chapter. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. In other words, the only ones who can truly serve Christ are those who know him as Lord. Those who have been forgiven of their sins. Those who have been saved by his grace. He says, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So serving the Lord is a very, is a very Christian thing to do. There are many people who name the name of Christ who are unwilling to serve him. Or just neglect serving him. They forget that it is he who has given them what they have. They forget that it is he who has, uh, who has given them the talents that they have to serve. Or the spiritual gifts to serve. Martha rallied in her serving. She, she didn't forget why she served. She rallied in serving, particularly in serving Jesus. Though at times she did become rather rattled or overcome in the amount of serving that she did. But let's not be too hard on her. I think we probably would fit into that category many times ourselves. Like her, all Christians should be serving the Lord in some capacity. As he mentioned here in verse 26, which we'll talk about later on. The admonitions to serve are found all the way through the New Testament in many places. I just give you a few. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So what you're going to do for the Lord, do it in the power of the Spirit, and do it with everything that you have. Exert yourself. Wear yourself in serving the Lord. Galatians 5, verse 13. Through love, serve one another. Colossians 3, verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, for what purpose? To serve the living God. See, service to Christ is a very important part of who we are as believers. Now, in verse 3, we find, that we find Mary. So Martha is serving, and I would assume... That up until this point, Mary was serving as well. Though it's not stated, I think it is probably appropriate for us to think that way. Mary is the one who always displayed loving devotion to the Lord. And we find her in that role here as well. 
Now, when we find Mary in Scripture, she is always at the same place. She is always at the feet of Jesus. We find her in Luke chapter 10, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from His teaching and from His words. In John 11, she is at His feet praying. And here in verse 3, she is at His feet worshiping. She is worshiping. She is always seen at the feet of Jesus. She was probably the more submissive and emotional of the two sisters. Although Martha exhibits some emotion herself in a different way. This is not to say that Martha didn't love Jesus and Mary did. For Martha surely did love the Lord. And she showed her love by serving Him. So how did, Mar how did Mary show her love and devotion for Christ? And why now is this act of worship given? The why seems to be because of her great appreciation of the Lord raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. And now he is, he is reclining at the table with the Lord. He is there. He is alive. He is healthy. But Mary seems to know something here that the rest of the people in that room did not understand. She understood and she would have known that Jesus was about to die. No doubt she had listened to his words. And on this occasion, she, without warning took a pound of pure nard. Now, nard is an aromatic herb grown in the high pasture land of the Himalayas between uh, Tibet and India. It is in the class of a flower. It's in the same class or family as the honeysuckle. I grew up in the south where honeysuckles are everywhere. And as a kid... We used to go and take the honeysuckle blooms and we would pull them off and suck the nectar out of them because it was so sweet. Now nard, coming from that flower, and because of the distance with which it had to be shipped or carried, and the region that it came from was very expensive. A jar of ointment, is what she had on that day. It says a pound, but a Roman pound was about 12 ounces. So she had about 12 ounces of this uh, ointment. Sometimes it is called spikenard because the pure nard is spiked with other ingredients, making it less aromatic and more fluid. This was a pound of pure nard. Very costly, which indicates the wealth of the family. Lazarus and her sisters were no doubt wealthy because it says here that it was expensive. It was used to pour 
over the bodies of those who had died in an effort to cover the smell of decay. Now, you, you know that in the Jewish custom, a body would be buried within 24 hours. But 24 hours is long enough for decay to set in. We don't have that in our culture. We send bodies to the mortuary and they, they embalm them. And, and it preserves the flesh, keeps it from decaying so quickly. It was not that way at this time. So the guests are reclining at the table. It was a U-shaped table. And they, they would lie down around it. And they would, they would uh, be on one, one, propping themselves up on one elbow. And they would have talk together and fellowship. And they would eat. And uh, so Mary came behind the Lord. And very suddenly broke open this jar of nard. Now, when it says she broke it, it's not like she smashed it against the floor. Uh, it would have probably been in a jar, and many times wax would be poured on top of these things, so she would have probably broken the surface of the jar so she could pour out the contents. And so she starts... I don't know if she started at his feet or if she started at his head. Turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 14. Because in Mark chapter 14, we have a, a more full description of what she did on this particular day. Notice verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Now, he doesn't name Mary here, but this is Mary. John gives us her name. Matthew doesn't name her either. of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now John tells us she poured it over his feet. I would submit to you that she poured it over his entire body as he was reclining there at the table. I don't know if she started at his head and ended at his feet or started at his feet and ended at his head, but it it was over his whole body because it says in verse 8 that Jesus says she has done this. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She knew Jesus was going to die. So Mary did something here. That went against all of the oriental customs of the day. She let down her hair. Now normally, the only person to see a woman let down her hair would be her husband in the privacy of their homes. Because women wore their hair up. 
she lets her hair down in front of all the men that were there that day. This was to show her love and devotion for Jesus. And not only that, but because she had poured this out, his feet were wet with the ointment, she dried his feet with her hair. Very much the same as the woman, the sinner woman in Luke 7, dried his feet with her hair. Now why did she do this deed? Because she understood what the other disciples did not. Understand. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. I want you to notice, beginning at verse 32. Verse 32, Jesus is traveling up the road with his disciples toward Jerusalem, and for the third time he discloses to them the fact that he is going to die. Look what it says. And again, I'm starting, uh, I'm starting at the end of verse 32. And again, taking the twelve, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying... We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. I submit to you, The disciples did not understand this. They still didn't get it. They had no concept of how this could happen. What he said is clear from John 13 and 14 and their conversation in the upper room. They still didn't understand, but Mary understood. She knew his death would be soon And she was honoring him by worshiping him and preparing him, his body, ahead of time for his death. But how did she know? The other disciples should have known, but were they listening when Jesus told them? You know, sometimes we tell people things and We think they're hearing, but they're really not hearing. Have you ever said to your son or your daughter, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but then they go off and they don't do what you said. Are they really hearing? Well, the disciples weren't hearing. Their ears weren't attuned to what he said. They didn't understand. But Mary understood. She knew his death would be soon, and so she is honoring him and worshiping him ahead of that time. But how? Well, I'll tell you how she knew. She grasped these truths about him 
by sitting at his feet and listening and learning and remembering. She picked up on what he was saying. Sitting at the feet of a teacher was where the children sat, at their parents' feet when they would teach them. It was the place of students who would follow a particular rabbi. And as the rabbi would teach them and he would be sitting, they would sit at his feet. This is what Mary did. Her act of worship came from the knowledge she acquired from the Lord. However, this act of worship prompted a reaction from the disciples. Especially from Judas. These disciples had left everything they knew to follow Jesus. But these disciples were not perfect people. Just like us, they had many problems. And they had many failures. Think of it. Peter denied the Lord and cursed to show he wasn't one of them. Thomas doubted that the Lord had risen. And they all fled when he was taken into custody except for John. But notice too, not only her worship, but the extravagance of her worship. Her love for Christ caused her to give the most costly of gifts. Now in verse 5, Judas piously responds, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That gives us an, an indication of how costly this was. For 300 denarii was a full year's wages. Would you take your full year's wages just to buy one thing? Well, you might. But she did. And so she gave, this is the point, she gave her most valued possession to the Lord in worship. What is your most valued possession? It'd be different than Mary's, obviously. Maybe it's maybe it's your children. Would you give your children to the Lord? So that He could use them in any way He sees fit? Maybe it's your home or your job. Whatever it is. We are to give our best to the Lord. This is what Mary is trying to teach us here. We, we give Him our best. Many times we just give Him our leftovers. Well, Lord, I'll give, to, I'll give something to you. I'll, I'll give something to you if I have it left. I don't think that's the way we should give. Mary, Mary's gift sought to bring attention to Jesus but Judas sought to divert attention away from him. And that's the difference between the two. That's the difference between one who knows and loves Jesus 
and follows Jesus and desires to make much of him and one who is just simply playing a game. And they often divert the attention away from Christ to something else. Now notice that statement in verse 3. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I like that statement. Mary has offered her gift to Jesus and she has dried his feet with her hair. And as she rises to continue helping Martha serve, she is spreading the aroma of the nard which she gave to Jesus around the room. And now the whole room is filled with the perfume, the smell of the perfume. What does that teach us? I mean, ask yourself, am I a blessing to others as I come in, that I come into contact with? Do I make a difference in their lives with regard to the Lord? Does seeing me cause them to think about Jesus? Do they see something in me that is reminiscent of Him? Well, if not, if those questions are answered negatively, then do what Mary did. Get on your knees at the feet of Jesus and give Him everything. Give Him your all. And then obey what He tells you to do with that all. It belongs to Him if you've given it to Him. Pour out your life to Him. And as He fills your life with His love and His blessings, you'll then be able to be a blessing to others around you. Judas didn't care about the poor. He could have cared less about the poor. Because he didn't care about Jesus. He only cared about himself. And he was the treasurer of the group. And he held the money bag, which he would dip into and take for himself. He was an extortioner, he was a thief. And eventually, in his greed, he would sell Christ out for, the sum, for a sum far less than what that ointment cost. What about the other disciples? What did they think? How did they react? How were they affected by Judas' statement? Look back at Mark 14 again. Mark chapter 14 and verse 4. Well, let's, go, let's start at verse 3. While, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now notice the, next, notice the next verse. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? 
Was it just Judas that thought this? Well, it wasn't just Judas because the words, the, the plural pronoun some and themselves are both plural pronouns. The others were thinking this too. But did they think it before Judas said it or did they think it after Judas said it? I think, that's my opinion, I think that they started considering that this was wasted after Judas said, why was this ointment not sold and the proceeds given to the poor? And then it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, why was that? They're thinking it to themselves. They didn't speak out. He was the only one to speak out. He spoke it out aloud. And everyone considered the waste. It was his statement that caused them to think indignantly. That's what I think. It seems that others immediately began to chime in with, with, their, with the same sentiments, but just not out loud. Remember this. Any selfish or negative reaction you exhibit will have an effect on others around you. We're not told what the other disciples thought about Judah's statement, but I can only imagine that they must have questioned it, especially since they didn't understand what Mary had done or why she had done it. The selfish person never understands the unselfish person. Judas thought in himself, what a waste. And then he says it. Why was this not given, sold and given to the poor? Well, first of all, it wasn't his to sell. But it was hers to give. Judas saw everything from a monetary standpoint. Not a very good way to live. He didn't see the value in a gift that didn't have personal value or benefit to him. Sometimes we as Christians get that from others. Why do you give your money down there at that church? What a waste. What have they ever done for you? I've heard it. Well, you're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to the Lord. You're giving it to His work. And you're giving it as He leads you. It's interesting that many parents want their girls to be named Mary, but no one wants their boys to be named Judas. His name, in the, in the dictionary, His name means treachery or traitor. Why would you want to name someone Judas? Maybe your dog. I actually love my dog too much to name him Judas. Finally, in this whole thing, Jesus comes to rescue to the rescue for Mary. He said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. 
More literally, now that sounds like, how could she keep it if she's poured it all out? No, she poured it all out. What she's saying, what is she, he's saying literally is, she intended to keep this for the day of my burial. That was her intent. That was her purpose for keeping the ointment. <clears throat> Matthew and Mark gives some extra information here in Mark and uh, Luke. Uh, uh, excuse me, in Matthew twenty-six, verses ten through thirteen. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, "Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me." For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. What an honor to have the King of Kings have you remembered in memorial for something done to him? Mark 14, verses 8 and 9. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, whoever, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So every time someone picks up the Gospel of John and teaches from the Gospel of John and they tell about this time, they are telling about Mary and what she did for him. And it will be in there for eternity. Jesus has now once again predicted his coming death in the presence of them all. He says... You will not always have me. The word you is plural. He's speaking to everyone here. And Jesus knew the thoughts of these disciples. He'd heard what Judas said. He, he knew what the others were thinking. John leaves, leaves out the memory of her, her deed in the proclamation of the gospel where my, Matthew and Mark have it in. But here, it's enshrined in the pages of Scripture. Now, finally, Judas, instead of falling at the feet of Jesus and humbly repenting of his sin, hardened his heart and sought an opportunity to betray the Lord. Jesus knew this. And he knew it was God's will. And he knew that Judas was born for this very thing. John chapter 13. Flip the page to John 13. Look at verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> he says in, in verse 18... I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the Scriptures will be fulfilled. you see that line? The Scriptures will be fulfilled. They had to be fulfilled. Otherwise, God would have been 
God would have been lying about what was going to take place. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I'm he. In other words, Jesus is predicting what's going to take place in the future. They don't know who this person is yet. Mark 14, verses 10 and 11. You needn't turn there. I'll read it for you. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised him money. And he, Judas, sought an opportunity to betray him. What a sad and tragic end this is for Judas. It's not a tragic end for the Lord, for he came for this purpose. He was born for this purpose. Yet the will of God must be fulfilled, and God must be glorified in it. And Mary has given us a preview of it as we begin, as Jesus begins this last week of his life. His public ministry is almost over. And when we get to verse chapter 13, his private ministry begins with his disciples. And he spends the whole day before, with his disciples before he died, teaching them what they should do when he was gone. Listen, I think if anything comes from this, here it is. Is that when we serve, we serve with an attitude of worship. When we give, we give with an attitude of worship. And Jesus will be honored and glorified when we do it that way. Be filled with the Spirit so that you can serve as you ought, so that you can give as you ought, so that you can encourage as you ought. Not for yourself, but for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. Mary's gift was a selfless one. You go and do likewise, and you will be blessed by God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day and for the blessings of it. We thank you that we have this portion of Scripture that teaches us so many lessons about ourselves and so, many, so much about how we are to serve you and love you and worship you, not just with our words, but with our, with our deeds, with our life, with our, our material blessing, with our substance, everything, Lord. It's yours. It belongs to you. Help us use the things we have to the glory of your name. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be praised and honored, for he alone is worthy to receive it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.